Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts for today, Lauren Lake. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. Today we have four guests helping us learn more about the CORE's Tribal Partnership Program. With us today are Ms. Eliza Morales, Senior Tribal Liaison with USACE Headquarters, Ms. Vanessa Alberto of the Tribal Liaison from St. Paul District, and Ms. Cindy Thomas, the Native American Program Manager, Jacksonville District, and Mr. J.R. English, Tribal Liaison for Northwestern Division. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Great to be here. Good to be here. That's not, thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, thank you all. So for today's episode, we are looking forward to learning more about the Tribal Partnership Program. Before we dive into those questions, though, we always like to start our episodes off by getting to know our guests. So we'd first like to know more about your experience with the Corps and your current position. So, JR, do you want to kick us off? Certainly. First, Kasia, thank you for inviting me. Uh, my Corps started over 10 years ago after I had retired from the Air Force of 25 years and teaching a little bit. I'm an enrolled member of the Nespers tribe, and I I'm, I'm, know that that's part of why I got hired, because I have both military experience and being a member of a tribe that helped me understand from that perspective. I started off at Portland District for about seven years and been in this job at the division for three years now. Great. Thank you. Vanessa, do you want to go next? Yeah, good afternoon. Vanessa Alberto. I work for St. Paul District within the Mississippi Valley Division. I started with the Corps 10 years ago this year. Uh, January was my 10-year mark. I started as an archaeologist, and since my time being here, uh, part of my job is um, working and establishing uh, relationships with tribal nations within our district. From that, I was able to become the tribal liaison for our district. So I'm one of two liaisons within our district, and I've been about been a liaison for about five years now. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Cindy Thomas. I'm the Native American Program Manager for the Jacksonville District. I started in the Jacksonville District about 10 years ago as the Central Everglades Planning Project Archaeologist. That was a not to exceed four years. I went to work for the Veterans Curation Program, another proje uh, project that the Corps sponsors as the lab director working with recently displaced disabled vets in Augusta, Georgia. From there, I went to the Little Rock District where I was hired on as the district tribal liaison and district archeologist until uh, Tulsa asked me to come over to be a staff archeologist in operations there. From that point, I was selected to be the tribal liaison for the Jacksonville district. So I've I've come about full circle. I started my career with the Corps of Engineers in Los Angeles. I'm a uh, third generation Los Angelino and I uh, had worked in the, I'll say the great Los Angeles district. Um, we all have a home district that we start with and kind of keep close to our hearts. I am coming up with my 30 year anniversary of federal service. The majority of my time has been with the Corps of Engineers. I serve as a senior tribal liaison, so I support USAID's leadership across the enterprise. I lead the tribal nations community of practice, and I'm also the program manager for the tribal partnership program. And I really want to stress 
that the backbone of the CORE's Tribal Nations Program are those district tribal liaisons and, and the division who you're talking to today. They're the primary, inter primary interface we have with the tribes, and they serve their commanders, and they serve their districts and the tribes within the areas that they work. And our district tribal liaisons are really diplomats, and they understand the craft of diplomacy and working with tribes. Tribes are sovereign nations, have always had their sovereignty, and our district tribal liaisons and divisions work and have relationships with 574 federally recognized tribes between Alaska and the lower 48, and our responsibilities are based on the Constitution, laws, legal opinions, executive orders, and agreements between the United States government and tribal governments. Lisa, can you explain more about the Tribal Partnership Program to our listeners? Well, the Tribal um, Partnership Program is the only authority the Corps of Engineers has specifically for federally recognized tribes. And again, there's 574 federally recognized tribes across the country, 229 in Alaska, and the remainder in the lower 48. Not every district will have a Tribal Partnership Program because it needs to be on tribal lands or in Oklahoma or near or close to a native Alaska village. That is because we had, the United States had a policy of, of removing tribes from their ancestral homelands. And so that's why not every district will have a tribal partnership program. This program was authorized in WARDA 2000, and it's been amended um, several times. The most significant amendment was in WARDA 16. That is when this program was authorized to have programmatic design and construction. So for those projects that were below a certain threshold of federal dollars for construction, they had the authority to move forward to design and construction. Anything greater than that amount would require a chief's report and new start construction. And so we just had our first chief's report signed in the Tribal Partnership Program, and that was an Alaska district, LM Navigation, Alaska, which is a native village, and it's an approximately $94 million um, Subsistence Harbor project that should be incredibly valuable to this community um, up there in Alaska. Also in Word of 16, there was an amendment to a provision that was a cost share waiver for territories. And Congress, in their wisdom, uh, amended to include tribes. So that allowed a cost share waiver of up to a certain dollar amount on studies and construction projects for tribes. So that was a, that was a, a I guess I'm going to say a watershed moment in this program that it really opened it up to more tribes to being able to partner with the Corps of Engineers. We've had a few amendments on both those authorities in Ward 18 and Ward 2020. There is now an annual inflation adjustment for the cost share waiver. So in 2021, our cost share waiver is $511,000 off the top of the um, feasibility study and for construction. To get the programmatic authority to be able to move to design and construction, the project must be at 18.5 million federal or less for the project or separable element of a project. So it's a very exciting program. It's grown exponentially over the years and how we're able to work with tribes. Um, we're able to work with tribes in other capacity as well through other programs like interagency international services program, we do reimbursable services. So the tribal partnership program is just one great authority that we have to be able to work with federally recognized tribes. Thank you so much for all that background. That was great to better understand how the, the programs that the Corps has to work with tribes. And so we wanted to talk about 
you know, what are some of those initial steps in developing a relationship with tribal partners? So, Vanessa, I was curious if you could walk us through that process and, and your experiences in developing relationships with, with tribes. Absolutely. So, developing relationships with tribes is really significant part to each district, and it really changes based on leadership, but for our leadership in our district, we really have had leadership that is central to establishing positive relationships with tribes and tribal governments. I mean, it really comes down to the fact that relationships are built upon trust and establishing trust with the tribes and the people and the tribal nations that we work with. And it's about knowing each other. So when you're trying to build a positive relationship, oftentimes we want to have in-person meetings. We want to have meaningful meetings. We want to have goodwill and good intent behind those meetings to kind of establish, again, that trust and that positive working relationship that we're hoping to continue to have into the future. It's really, for me, it's about being ready to listen. Oftentimes when we meet with a tribe for the first time, or even if we've met with tribal nations several times, you really need to be able to take the opportunity to listen and hear and really listen to what they have to say. Oftentimes, we are trying to identify ways that we can form a relationship, also a partnership, in which we can have a project such as within the TPT program that can have positive benefits for the tribes themselves. So for me, it really kind of comes down to um, building that trust. And I think that really comes down to those um, in-person meetings and um, meeting face-to-face, but also having that um, good intent behind and goodwill behind those meetings. So I think to, to tag on to what Vanessa was saying, honesty and transparency is paramount. For the tribes that I deal with, as an example, whenever I came back to the Jacksonville district, one of the the longtime staff members of one of the tribes during a conference call, he made a point to say, you know, Cindy, welcome back. We're so glad that you're back. It's good to speak to someone without all the pomp and bureaucracy. I have a tendency I can speak on many levels, and you have to consider your, you know, audience. Um, If you've got a bunch of cattle ranchers that you're speaking to, coming from a farming background, ranching background, I can speak to them from experience. There is a connection in that sense. But the use of acronyms and speaking this hot, you know, above everyone's head, if you're a scientist, you're, you're a PhD, and the person you're speaking to doesn't hold a PhD in ichthyology or hydrology or hydroengineering, I can gather that information and regurgitate it in a way that they can understand it. And so they build a trust in me when I'm there to be act as like an interpreter in a way. Some engineers can't put it in layman's terms. And so they're not understanding exactly what's going on. Definitely honesty and transparency. If you can't say something, whatever message you're delivering, if you cannot say something because you don't have clearance to say something, let them know that. I've realized that they 
they respect that. They understand that because if the chairman comes down and says, or the tribal leader comes down and says, hey, you know, that information is close hold, the, the staff and or tribal members working for the tribe, they, they understand that, they accept that. Be yourself, whoever you are, the I'm the klutz and forgetful one. They respect that and accept that out of me, you know, from me. And it just shows that, hey, I'm human and I'm infallible. I don't know how many times, or I'm not infallible. I don't know how many times that I have had to apologize for messing up on something and they laugh and pick on me about it. Just be yourself. Vanessa and Cindy has some good stuff there. I To develop a relationship, uh, remembering back to when I first started, it's really important to to establish contacts in the tribe with key staff and the, and the tribal leaders. Out here in the Pacific Northwest, we're real lucky to have uh, an organization called Affiliated Tribes of Northwest Indians, and ATNI uh, meets three times a year, pretty regularly, same times, with over, I don't know, 55, I think, plus uh, tribes from the Pacific Northwest area. So it's a, it's a great place to meet up with staff and key leaders uh, where you're not trying to get business done necessarily, but you can talk, uh, so to speak, offline a little bit. And um, I used to take my commander and others uh, that I could to meet with them. And, and that was a really good way to help build on those relationships outside of the day-to-day -day business that you need to do. And, and there's other things that you can do, like go to a powwow or first food ceremony or other things. And that's mm -hmm. how you build those relationships uh, so that they can trust you that, hey, they know this individual um, not just me, but my boss or other key leaders from the district. What, what we're hearing is a theme of like, when you're building relationships, it's being honest, it's being humble, it's being comfortable. You have to understand other cultures. Even though it's 574 tribes, everyone is individual, has their own government, their own culture. And you may be at meetings and they may, may be speaking their tribal language. So you have to be comfortable with hearing foreign languages. I grew up, my abuelita never spoke English. My dad's first language is Spanish. My partner's Estonian, always speaking his crazy language. Um, but you have to be able to be comfortable and hear and, and not interrupt and understand that that you have to have some humility in working with tribes. And that's really important. I think that's kind of mm -hmm. the big thing we heard from Vanessa and Cindy and JR. And it's, it's that ongoing relationship. It's just not engaging with the tribe when there's a regulatory issue. It's, it's having that ongoing relationship. They, they know who you are as a person, not just who you are as a title. They kind of know you've had, you know, a family and you have this and that, that they know who you are, which is important as well than just giving your title over. Thank you all for, for the great input. Um, and yeah, and it's just like building any relationship, right? It takes time and, you know, you want to build relationships on trust and um, accountability. Um, we want to really get into how it's been this last year, uh, given some of the restrictions on traveling, not being able to go out and meet face-to-face. -face. And I think you all would agree that face-to-face -face meetings um, and getting out there and actually in an, interacting with the partners is the best, right? Um, but I'm curious to know how this last year due to the pandemic has affected 
some of the communication with the tribes. Yes, thank you. Uh, like you said, it has made it very tough with the COVID restrictions on travel and, and limiting to phone calls and, and virtual meetings. We had to jump into that for some for all of our programs, essentially. Um, I only know of a couple of times that some district commanders were able to go meet uh, because it was just down the road uh, with just the chairman of the tribe or whatever. It makes it even more important to make sure that you develop those relationships uh, with the key staff and the leaders and, and it makes it so much tougher because there is so many um, jobs that each one of those tribal leaders is doing. You got to remember that They've got all of the federal agencies and all of the state agencies and local agencies in addition to their their job of, of trying to help run their sovereign nation. So that's, that's something to, to bear in mind when you don't get a reply back from an email or unable to get through on the, on the phone. Probably the worst thing that happened throughout all of this from my perspective is is when they had the tribes had to shut down completely. Um, it was bad enough when they had to scale back to just key staff or whatever, but when they had to shut down completely, then then I really got got worried. I just want to add a comment on the COVID. It, it really varied across the nation for the tribes because some tribes might be in more urban areas, like in the Northwest, they might be closer in. Though you have a lot of tribes that are very rural areas and their staff does not have access to VPN, or they may not have computers the way we have computers, and the tribal chairman, you know, if it's in a remote area of South Dakota, he may have the best phone reception in a room, and that may be barely accessible at all. So uh, the, the challenges for the tribes have been very difficult to overcome, and so they, they really depend on us to be patient and, and understanding of that, that they have their, that they're sovereigns and they're trying to work these things out. So we need to... Um, Again, have a, having patience is very important and understanding the challenges that they're facing besides the fact that COVID hit tribal communities exponentially much greater than it hit non-Native communities. So they had those challenges as well. I started my job January 27th of last year. So COVID hit in March. So thankfully I had a relationship somewhat, at least with the Seminole tribe and their staff with the Seminole tribe. Unfortunately, the people that I worked for, for the Miccosukee tribe, they weren't here when I, I, I came back. I knew them somewhat. It's been very difficult. And it's, you know, in the beginning, I was speaking to the Seminole tribe probably 10 times a week. Uh, the Miccosukee tribe, maybe three or four times a week. Any chance, like today, I'm out in the field today and I went out with, with Miccosukee staff to look at a project that they're, they're wanting to do on a, next to a federal project. So any chance that I got to go out in the field, you know, I seized it, went out. But it has been, it has been very challenging for me because we don't have the face-to-face, -face, you know, formal government-to-government -government meetings like we were before COVID. I'm looking forward to those, but we've adapted now, whenever we route correspondence, we have a new way that we're routing correspondence. 
and I contacted the tribe and said, hey, how do y'all feel about this? You know, what if we do it this way? Is this going to help you guys out? And they're like, absolutely. So we've adapted and, and they've adapted and we've become a lot together. We've become a lot more technologically advanced, if you will, as agencies uh, working together. Thank you, Cindy. And picking back on that discussion, you've talked about how you've adapted um, to the COVID situation that we're all facing. I was curious, you know, maybe pre-COVID times, also uh, during COVID, um, the steps that uh, you all have taken to enhance the relationships that you have with tribal nations. So, Vanessa, was thinking we'd start with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really comes down to those in-person, face-to-face interactions. So when it comes to enhancing relationships, or I would just say establishing relationships and keeping those positive relationships going, it's getting out, visiting their tribal communities, whether that be our leadership, so our colonel meeting with their tribal leaders, whether it be our staff-to-staff level engagement, establishing communication protocols and communication plans so that when you, depending on who is going to be meeting, um, if it is a staff-to-staff level meeting versus a leadership, uh, more higher level government-to-government meeting, there's different protocols. There's different ways to go about interacting and meeting and talking. So establishing uh, communication protocols, and that's not just on our end, that's us working with um, a tribal nation to see what works for them and how can we best establish that relationship and continue that relationship into the future. I think it's very challenging. JR had mentioned uh, it's important to have contacts. And it's very challenging with our district alone, we can uh, consult with up to 44 tribes. Having contacts that um, you can have good contacts with, good relationships with, is very challenging. And staff, not only for the core and the district, but also tribes are constantly changing. Um, oftentimes you establish a really good relationship and all of a sudden there's someone new. And it's knowing how to go about communicating, who to talk to, especially on that staff-to-staff level, because oftentimes our recreation staff and our NAFTA resource staff are the ones who are meeting with tribal staff members to talk about environmental projects or something like that. And it's really important and key to give our core staff the tools to be able to uh, fully establish those positive relationships and those working relationships. Pre-COVID and during COVID, it is very similar. There hasn't been a lot of change except for the fact that now we're a lot more virtual. We're not doing those in person. Just like Cindy said, I am really excited to get back to meeting in person with all of our tribal nations. I know my leadership is really excited to start meeting with their tribal leaders and the presidents again. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be sooner or later, but going to take patience. We're going to have to have patience and um, we're going to have to all figure out kind of what the new normal is and what everyone is comfortable with um, just to make sure that we're all being safe with how we continue to meet in the future. Yeah, it sounds like you've all been able to adapt 
to the changing environment and also are ready to get back out there and, um, you know, meet face-to-face, -face, which, you know, I think we all agree that that's like the best thing is to go out and get hands-on uh, with the partners and learn from just seeing and doing, right? Speaking of seeing and doing, we wanted to hear a bit more about their projects that, you know, we might have going on that are supporting tribes. So does anybody have any projects that they would like to highlight? I would like to um, actually highlight a, a few projects, but I want to highlight with actually a project in Northwest Division and one in St. Paul District. Northwest Division at Omaha District has the first construction project under the programmatic authority for the Lower Rural Sioux Tribe. Very, very great work done by Omaha District. This, that was the first PPA. The second PPA that was signed after uh, a feasibility report was for the Prairie Island Indian Community, Sturgeon Lake, in, in St. Paul District. But I'm sure JR or Vanessa could speak to those. But those, those show the success of that programmatic authority and moving those and getting a project from feasibility approved by the division commander into getting it to construction. Yeah, JR or Vanessa, would you like to talk a bit further about those projects or other projects that you're supporting tribes on? Sure. The Lower Brule Sioux Tribe Tribal Partnership Program was about the only way that we were have been trying for, I think, over 10 years to try and correct a problem that they were having on one of our reservoirs that they, that they live on. And um, their sewer lagoons were being threatened and, and that's how we finally were able to get some more priority for it. It already eaten away the recreation area that was nearby. Like Lisa said, it, it ended up being the very first one that is also when the rules changed to be approved for, to go right into construction authority, whereas before it was simply just studies under the partnership program. Uh, we have a whole bunch of others that would be more happy to talk about, but uh, let's hear about some of the others. I can talk about Prairie Island Project. That's also within the TPP funding line item, and it's, it's an excellent project where we're partnering with Prairie Island Indian Community, and it's habitat improvement. So they have an island <laughs> that is off of the uh, main part of the Mississippi River. And it's like a lot of our natural environment on the Mississippi River and other rivers and riverine environments, constantly being um, eroded and washed away. And the concern is without any stabilization that this significant area would essentially not be there anymore or into the, into the future. Again, habitat improvement, so it's going to be strengthening the shoreline. Um, it's going to be building and raising the island and native trees and native plant communities. Um, there's a really significant uh, mussel bed that is right there that's unique to the Mississippi River and unique to Minnesota. I'm trying to think of some other things. It's, I mean, overall, it's a really exciting project just because, like Lisa had said, it's one of the first that we've really been able to move forward with in our district. We, we have other TPP projects that we're, that we're working on with different tribes within our district that are along the similar trajectory as far as um, improving the environment, protecting the environment, and also uh, protecting and providing 
an opportunity for the tribe to continue with their traditional way of life. So it's very exciting. So, Laura, um, I just want to add that it's an exciting program. In addition to LM Navigation Harbor, which has the chief report that was signed on Friday, the 12th of March, we anticipate two more studies to be completed this fiscal year that would lead to construction under the programmatic authority. And in FY22, we're tracking five studies to be completed that would be able to be constructed under the programmatic authority, everything appropriation dependent. But it's, it's exciting because the great work that's happening in the districts that are able to bring these really important projects to these tribal communities. Most projects, um, construction, the, the, the largest one in the program under authority is under $10 million at this point. So in some other projects are probably like $1 million. They may not be big ticket dollars like the core is used to seeing, but for these communities, they are big ticket projects. They mean so much to these communities, and it's a great program that the core has to help these communities and help these tribal governments to meet their needs and meet the priorities for their communities. I have one unique kind of project, or potentially unique. So we have uh, reservation lands here in Florida, and as you all are aware, we have hurricanes every year and high water events every year. The reservation and the city north of the reservation, uh, which is a small city town, more of a town than a city, experiences uh, flooding issues. We have all these different pockets, the city, the county, the state, DOI, doing all these different studies in the general area. And so to bring them together so that everyone could start seeing what everyone else is doing and maybe come to the same playbook, if you will, we're going through the Silver Jackets, which is a program the Corps belongs to, to get all these, you know, these agencies together and sitting down at the same table. The tribe had asked us to get involved because they've been going after this for a number of years, uh, trying to get resolution. Uh, we're at the fledgling stage of this, but we do have partners that are interested, um, including the state. It's new, but we'll see where it goes and if we get funded for it next FY. Great, thank you for those examples. So, you know, just wanted to, to follow up with, you know, we started this podcast talking about the Tribal Partnership Program. And I think most recently the TPP or Tribal Partnership Program came to St. Paul District. And so, Vanessa, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience in establishing the program at the district. I will say I can't take all the credit and I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> we have a very robust program, but it's because one individual who's not on this call, Nate Campbell, he is the program coordinator. He's actually a project manager uh, within our district. Him and I have worked very closely together in going out and meeting face-to-face -face with tribes, hearing what their, what their concerns are, hearing what their water-related problems are, and trying to figure out a way on how we can assist tribes with, with solving their, their problems. It also, there's a whole bunch of PMs that are behind us. Once we have a project or a study that's starting and is kicked off, usually it's handed off to a project manager that establishes PDT and then continues that relationship on. 
And I will say it's it's exciting. Every single person that I know from in the district that works on or touches TPP is really excited about the program, really excited about the opportunity. They're all unique. As Lisa said, every every tribe is unique. Every every tribe has unique problems and that leads to unique opportunities. And it's trying to figure out how we can best assist to assist them in, in solving the problem. I will say Division and Lisa also is extremely important in helping us understand the authority, getting the funding, getting the support, and kind of getting it through the review process and the approval process as well. So we have um, currently five active projects under the, the TPP program, and then we have three or four that are currently proposed, and each one, like I said, is completely unique. Um, they're with tribes across our entire district from Wisconsin to Minnesota to North Dakota, and it's really exciting, and this year we're going to continue to meet with tribes from a virtual standpoint to see if we can establish some new proposals and get some, some new things out there. So it's a really exciting uh, opportunity. It's, it's exciting to be, I guess, a part of the, the overall process with it. Vanessa, that is great to hear, and I'm so glad that St. Paul District has taken the initiative to enhance the program, and um, I'm glad that you have a great team uh, in St. Paul District supporting you. We're nearing the end of our time together, but before we part ways, um, I just wanted to let everybody have an opportunity for any final thoughts. Lisa, we'll go ahead and start with you. Any final thoughts? Well, for me, I just, again, as I said, our district staff, our district tribal liaisons are our diplomats to the tribes, and they work very closely with them and build those strong relationships. And the tribes have been on this land since time immemorial, and when we work on a project, they bring their traditional ecological knowledge to the table as well. So it's just not the Corps of Engineers in there, you know, trying to do our engineering thing. It's, it's really sitting back and listening and integrating the tribe, the tribe's thoughts, the tribe's knowledge of the land as well to getting a solution that works for them. And again, we have a great team in the field in our districts that are working this program. It's an honor to serve as the senior tribal liaison for this incredible cadre of people and to be able to work with them. So it's a real honor for me. So thank you. It is an honor for me as well to do this job. It is very rewarding. I think a word of advice that I could give to folks that interact with tribes is don't take it personal. Sometimes the message that is delivered is delivered to you not because of who you are, but because who you work for. And historically, you do work for the Army who was, you know, part of the forced removal. Don't take it personal. It, it's not directed towards you. I have had personal experience of that where I've had, a, you know, an elder staff member contact me and say, gal, this is going to be harsh, but the chairman told me to deliver it this way. And I'm like, yes, sir, go for it. And he would crawl up one side and down the other. And I knew it wasn't directed towards me, but it was just how he was supposed to deliver the message. So that's the best word of advice I can give. JR, any final thoughts from you? Yes. 
Thank you. Um, I, too, am very uh, proud to be associated with all the, the wonderful tribal liaisons and, and shout out to the PMs and archaeologists, et cetera, NRMs, who are the front line working with the tribes. You're the ones who know what their needs are and what their problems are and, and maybe have an idea of a solution. This TPP program can help in a lot of those cases. There's one thing I would like to emphasize to everybody, is, and that is that most tribes, all tribes as far as I know, and the Corps of Engineers have one very common goal, and that's protection of the waters of the United States. There's always a place where we can work from, even when there's disagreements of some particulars. Thank you. And Vanessa, how about you? Thank you. For, those are all really good comments. I mean, it really does come down to that acknowledgement of the fact that, I mean, we are working in on traditional homelands of tribal nations. And it really kind of comes down to acknowledging not only that, but that we are working as government to government, they are sovereign nations. And with that comes that respect that's, that's warranted and needed. It's rewarding, I'll just say that, just as everyone else has said, every day it's very rewarding to be able to come and work and hear the stories and come together with tribal staff, tribal nations, and every day it's, it, you're learning something new. I mean, I, I like how JR said that we all do have a common understanding and we do all have are connected with water. And I think that that's something that moving forward, we really need to continue to create and uphold those positive relationships and know that there are going to be challenges, but we all do have that, that common ground, especially with working for the core, with that common ground of water that really needs to be kind of focused on and emphasized. And yeah, it's very rewarding. I really enjoy, enjoy being a tribal liaison. Thank you, Lisa, JR, Vanessa, and Cindy for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you. What topics are important to you and people you're interested in hearing from? Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together. <laughs>